The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild course language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian, or priest. This is John Deke speaking. This is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello, Charlie. Oh, there's a high energy start to the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're both we're both in pain. I am still in very physical pain. I'm still standing doing the podcast. My back yeah. now five weeks into being terrible and showing some signs of getting better, but uh, not not enough signs of getting better. Uh, just new bits of me hurting in new and different ways. So I'm feeling physically terrible, but you're feeling more mentally, uh, you know, oh, terrible. Oh, look, no, I, I, won't, I won't overstate uh, uh, the, the football result last night. It's more, I've had a very long week myself. Uh, a lot of travel's been involved, some very long hours. You can probably hear my voice is a bit husky. So uh, all I wanted to do last night was just to settle back at a, a quiet local and watch my team play football. And now all I want to do is find something else to follow because it's a fucking waste of my time. And I like, I can't believe so many people have been telling me this for so many years and I kept ignoring them. I have been dating the worst girl in town, the girl who every year promises she'll be good to me and every year breaks my heart. And I don't know why I put myself through it. I feel like I've hit rock bottom, Will. Well, the great news is that you have a complete separate podcast to this, an AFL podcast where you have to talk about it. Uh, every single week for the rest of the season. So uh, people oh. can listen to that. It's called Two Guys, One Cup, an AFL podcast. Uh, <laughs> but we won't we won't burden people too much with our football misery here on this podcast. But I will say this, Charlie, we should mention actually in some good news. We should, we, we should make yes. some exciting announcements. There's a couple of big things that we should talk about uh, going on in the world of uh, TOEFOP and uh, TOEFOP Live. Firstly, we will be going back. We will re- be returning to the Los Angeles Podcast Festival to do TOEFOP. Uh, we have a bunch of confirmed guests, Jackie Cation, Laura House, uh, Matt Kirshen, Gareth Reynolds, Dave Anthony and Graham Elwood. So that's going to be like a massive show uh, at the LA Podcast Festival. So if you're in LA for that, come along and see us there. And then probably the more bizarre uh, news you may have noticed on the socials this week is that uh, Tofop is going to be playing the Opera House. Now, that's the sort of thing that you imagine. I've been listening to the Little Dumb Dumb Club because they're also doing this same festival we're doing at the Opera House. And for the last few weeks, you know, they've been teasing the idea that, you know, something pretty out of character, something weird was going to happen and they might be performing at an iconic venue. We haven't mentioned it because, to be honest, until it actually went on sale, we thought it was an elaborate practical joke. Yeah, that's right. We felt like that maybe Dave Anthony and Gareth Reynolds have been up to something. Maybe they were planning like a future tollop about the world's most gullible fucking idiots. Uh, but it is real. I mean, it is kind of funny you said, because you're the one, um, they approached us through your management, obviously, because it's the Just For Last Comedy Festival. And I think we both had such a kind of 
Like, it's actually kind of a big thing to be asked to play the Opera House, but you and I were so kind of like laissez-faire and whatever, both because I think we were in a little bit of shock. <laughs> like, does people actually want us to play at the Opera? Have they listened to it? Like, what are they basing this off? That's what I want to know. Is it because, Will, it's a sterling comedy conversation between two old friends? <laughs> I mean, it feels to me... Like it says more about the Opera House lowering their standards than it says about us raising ours. Yeah, 100%. Like I, I generally write a lot of the kind of blurbs and stuff when we do live shows. I, I like to take that on. And I actually really gave me pause writing this one because I'm like, oh, you know, like this is a big chance to kind of like announce this. Like, who are we? This is our debutante, like our debutante ball. What are we going to say? How do we announce ourselves? And for at one stage I did write out, it's a comedy conversation between two old mates. And I'm like, fuck <laughs> that, that. No, no offense, Mike Al, but that sounds like the worst show on the face of the planet. <laughs> Which ironically was the blurb we went with. The worst show on the face of the planet. So come along, <laughs> see it at the Sydney Opera House. <laughs> now, you've played the Opera House before, so this is probably not as big a deal for you as it is for me. Well, I mean, here's the thing I will say about playing the Opera House. You never get blasé about playing the Sydney Opera House. Like, you know, when you are going to work and your place of work happens to be the Sydney Opera House, then it's a beautiful thing. Yes, I've been lucky enough to do, you know, my, my last three or four shows uh, there at the Sydney Opera House. And when you're playing the big main room, which, spoiler alert, guys, is not the room they booked Tofop for. <laughs> <laughs> We're playing the Opera House, but, you know, we've got to build ourselves up to the main room. But we are playing in the room that I first did. At- They're actually building a, 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 a Punch and Judy style puppet theatrette outside the Opera House. So when we say we are playing the Opera House, it's just to the side of the Opera House. Uh, actually, you might have seen it if you've been to the Opera House. It's actually that little guard station for security they have at the roundabout <laughs> that's about actually about 500 metres from the Opera House. We're playing that guard studio. So what you have to do is you have to be in your car. It's kind of like a drive-in and we'll be piping yeah. it in to your car and you just have to cog laps of the roundabout to listen. You know, it's, I had a friend um, did a, a show once, like a, a show, one-man show, I guess. And uh, he did it at this uh, country town in this, in this town hall. And um, when I got there, I was like, oh, you know, I got into this performance space. The chair's laid out. Obviously, you know, he's going to be performing in the, in the space where the chairs were facing. And I was like, oh, I can't see a bathroom here. I'll just duck out and see if I can find a, a, a toilet before the show starts. And so I opened this door and step out into this little, like, cramped, little damp crawl space between the buildings. And there is my friend sitting on a stool, like, you know, with his costume hanging up on a couple of coat hangers, like, underneath the drain pipe and stuff. And I just looked at him and went, showbiz, hey? <laughs> I kind of feel like that's what our show is going to be like. Like, if you come to see our show and you just happen to use the public toilets at the opera bar, chances are you'll find Will and I in one of the cubicles getting changed, ready for the show. Well, firstly, I would say this. There must be some opera singers who are pissed off. That's the first thing I thought. Oh, yeah. Like, if you're an opera singer whose dream it has been to work your way up to the opera house and then you see that some fucking idiots who can barely record their podcast get to do their podcast at the opera house, then I think there's going to be some resentment in the opera community. That's the first thing I would think. Second thing Mm is, uh, I have played this room before. Um, I played it the first time I played the opera house myself doing solo shows there. And... The thing is that the way the Opera House works is that the speakers internally, you can be like backstage in your venue and you can hear everything that's happening on stage in your venue, you know, for calls and stuff like that when they're doing plays. 
but they do that in all the various venues in the opera house. So for example, right. if they're doing Swan Lake in the main room, you'll have a lot of ballet dancers kind of lounging around in this large green room area, but they'll have Swan Lake piped in on the TVs and on the, like, you know, over so they can hear their cues and they know when they have to go and dance. Now, one year when I was playing the opera house, something went wrong with that system and the people who were meant to be doing Swan Lake were just hearing my show. So can you imagine <laughs> if that same accident happens the night we are playing the opera house and there's like some people upstairs waiting to do Mendelssohn or something and all they're hearing is us <laughs> talking about Ben Mendelssohn. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I imagine there's going to be some fairly confused people. Do you think we'll get... I mean, if we haven't done, apart from that uh, comedy store show, we haven't done a, a, a live show in Sydney. Like Melbourne's been treated a few times. Treated, I say, but <laughs> in inverted commas. Melbourne has been subjected to uh, <laughs> a few live shows, but this is our first one. So do you think we'll be getting like hardcores or do you reckon we'll be getting some peop- crossovers, some curiosity people? I mean, here's the thing. Firstly, it's a slightly higher price point than we would have put on in ourselves. I need to oh, point yeah, this out. When we value the quality of our entertainment, it turns out we value it a lot lower than an independent producer does. So it's a little bit more expensive than normal, which means that we're going to try to make the show, you know, super, even better than usual. Uh, We'll have a bunch of guests, I assume, that we haven't bothered booking because we did not think it was going to happen. But John Deeks is definitely going to do it, right? We've asked Deeksy. Yeah, we can confirm John Deeks is going to be there. Like, I mean, we should really fucking put more effort into this, right? We should think a bit more about this. No, we. I mean, we want it to be amazing. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. We'll want it to be amazing. The problem is we haven't actually done any thought on what the show will be because we were just so convinced it wasn't a real thing that now that it's actually announced and on sale, I'm like, oh, fuck, we're going to have to get guests and like make this really yeah. good so people come. Well, look, let's see. I mean, often with the live shows, it is a case where like, lazy students who cram for a test. We go, like, it's fine. I've got a month to prepare for this test. Oh, I've got three weeks. I've got two weeks. And then... I'm up all night fucking sticking badges together for a joke that's five years old that no one will be able to see because the stage is so far from the audience. That's the level of professionalism you can expect for our live show. Imagine that on a grand scale, though. (laughs) You know what we should do? Do you remember when Oprah came and did the Opera House and uh, Hugh Jackman did the Flying Fox in? That's our entrance. I mean, you can barely stand or walk, but I could put you on a Flying Fox, couldn't I? Tofopra. Yes. Perfect. Tofopra House. (laughs) Do you think we could get Hugh Jackman to recreate that moment for our podcast? Uh, I think we might be able to get Hugh Sheridan. (laughs) Let's lower our sights on Australian actors named Hugh. Okay. um, What about Hugh? Is there any other Hughes? Which which Hughes do you think we could get? Because I I think, to be honest... Uh, Merv Hughes. I reckon we'd get Merv Hughes. Mur- Merv Hughes seems like the kind of guy who would do like, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. I think we could get Merv Hughes. We slide Merv Hughes in on a flying fox. So Merv Hughes, Hugh Jackman style. <laughs> Merv Hughes Jackman. We get him <laughs> to change his name to Merv Hughes Jackman for the day. And we get him to fly yeah. in. But instead of using like uh, that sort of flying fox, what he's using is the different ends of his moustache. And they've rigged that, and he's holding one end each of his big moustache, and he slides down on that into the gig. Yeah, it's like when you see a trapeze artist sort of hang themselves by the teeth on the trapeze. He just comes in, 
Mo is connected to the cable, and that's how he slides in. Yeah, or or at least he just slides in on a giant Mo at the very least, right? Oh yeah, yeah, okay, that'll do. Because they, I think in the in the early nineties when Merv was at his peak, didn't they have like big foam Merv Mo's or something that you could take to the footy? Oh. I mean the cricket. Well, if they didn't, we should get a time machine and a foam making thing and fucking make that happen because <laughs> that is that is a quality idea. I was at the bottle shop uh, last week and. Um, there was a little uh, a basket full of, I guess it's Merv Hughes heads. It's uh, some beer company is doing some promotion where you get these bottle op- talking bottle openers in the shape of like Merv Hughes's head, and I'm assuming the other one was like a David Boone or someone, but I wasn't quite sure. The likeness wasn't spot on. Have you seen these things? Where is the market for Merv Hughes's head as a bottle opener? Like where? I look. I don't follow cricket much at all these days, but surely there's been other cricketers since Merv Hughes that you'd want to make a bottle opener out of. Oh, I mean, I guess Merv was famous for loving a drink as Booney was famous for loving a drink. So they've got to be people who are willing to be associated with like, you know, Mm. alcohol and being famous for drinking alcohol. And I know for a while, Booney was actually like, Booney didn't like it. Like Booney didn't like the idea that people brought up the fact that, you know, he loved alcohol. And I was like, well, maybe you shouldn't have drunk 52 cans on a flight from <laughs> Australia to fucking London if you didn't want people to talk about you loving alcohol, mate. Is that a, like a, and that's a work trip too, right? Like he's obviously going to trip. or from, uh, yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> like what's the what's the fitness coach or the, or, or, or the dietitian thinking about that when Booney's just smashing down 52 VBs on the flight over? I mean, is it because there's got to be a time where it becomes like I don't know what the mindset was. Whether he got on the plane that day going, "I am going to beat the record," or whether he just had you know a quick little you know the first four went down nicely and he thought, "Ah, oh, fuck it," you know what? That'll be something to pass the time. Like, I, there's got to be a point of time where it goes around that he's going for the record, though. Oh yeah, I mean that. Well, someone has to take note of that. It's kind of like that scene in Cool Hand Luke with the eating of the eggs. You know, like he's just going to, he knows he just has to, after you get to like 30, someone's going to say, hey, you realize the last person to do that was Richie Benno. <laughs> Richie Benno sculled like, you know, 38 pots on a flight to London. Let's see if you can beat that, Booney. <laughs> yeah, but then they go back to when they used to actually go to London on a boat. And I mean, you could get <laughs> a lot of pots down on a six-month boat voyage. <laughs> Richie Benno drank 48 flagons <laughs> of mull wine. <laughs> On, the, on his first tour of England. I mean, they're different times too, aren't they? When not only did he like drink 52, but he was served 52. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good point. Do you know what I mean? Like the fact that he could drink them. It's not like he brought those slabs on himself. He was being served drinks on the plane, right? Don't you reckon there was a time like... A romanticized uh, uh, time of uh, air travel where it's like, you know, uh, your stewardesses were like these babes and they'll bring in your martini glasses. And it was just like a groovy party in the sky. And then something happened where it just got all serious. And like now you just feel like you're going to school when you're on a plane. You got to, there's stuff you got to listen to. You got to pay attention up the front. You got to sit where you've been putting your seat. Don't talk to that guy. Be careful what you bring on the plane. The fun's gone out of air travel, Will. Charlie, I have no idea what you're talking about and have never had an experience that matches what you've just described. <laughs> really? That's funny. I've sworn I read something about you in the paper. Oh, well, moving on. No one wants to hear that story, I'm sure. Yeah, as long as I did. If I tried to have 52 beers on the way to Wagga, that would have been fine. It was the fact that I tried to stretch my back. <laughs> no, nah, 
fucking arrested, mate. You should be fucking sinking cans like an Aussie. I um, how is your drinking these days? Do you think you're better or worse than you were, say, ten years ago? Ah. Uh, I would say in general, I'm better as in like, uh, I, I, I'm really drunk, but there has been a couple of times in the last year, two years where I've had a, like a blackout, you know, sort of don't remember, got drunk enough that I don't remember. And that's not something that was ever really part of the way that I was drinking. So I've, I now since like, you know, there was a couple, you know, when you have one and you're like, oh, well, maybe that's just, you know, you just had one night where you, mm. but I had a couple and I was like, yeah all right okay i don't like this much um so i've kind of stopped drinking at that top end now like that bit where you're just like i'm this might be where now i'm just a bit more like you know i probably but i probably drink more regularly (laughs) i would say this will at least you played at the elite level like i never uh, drank at the elite level i was always like a fairly kind of average drink i was never a big drinker i had this sort of naturally built-in kill switch that would sort of stop me around about you know five or six beers and i sort of just feel ill or too drunk to keep drinking i could never push past that and go pro like you did uh but even now i've noticed that like just the slightest amount of alcohol gets me drunk like i can have two beers i had two beers at the pub last night and i felt so drunk and i'm like what is going on like is it just more when I was younger, I had more distractions. And so like, I didn't focus in on the drunk feeling as much. Or is it now that's like, it's just harder to get started again? Or is it like a, a joint thing? Is it like I'm getting like, the, the, my bones are getting older, it's harder to walk. Like I will wake up, not just kind of like headache, headachey and cloudy, but my body feels sore from drinking. Oh, maybe I don't have osteoarthritis. Maybe I've just had a hangover <laughs> for 15 years. <laughs> I go and get an x-ray and they're like, actually, no, your hips are fine, mate. You have just been on a 15-year hangover. Sorry, mate. Oh, it's fine. Just don't have a drink for a week. You'll be able to run a marathon by Thursday. There are plenty of comedians who wouldn't drink, I imagine, right? They go to gigs and they do tours and they, they're in clubs and, and stuff all the time where they're not drinking. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, you know... I. Do you think it's an, an even split? I reckon it's, you don't find a lot of moderate drinkers. That's what I would say. There are some. But right. What I, but what I would say is there's a lot of people who don't drink at all. Uh, some of them because they used to drink too much. Um, and there is a lot of people who, the problem is that if you like to drink, it's constantly around you. Like there are rare jobs mm. where you go to work and like drinking three or four beers is actually considered just part of like your work. Like I'll go and do a show and if I have a beer before or a couple of beers before and a couple of beers on stage, like that's my night at work, but you've had four beers when you're at work. So if you then go and do something social afterwards, yeah, you're drinking a lot and everywhere you go, somebody will give you a drink. Like it is one of those jobs where mm. like they're like, oh, you're about to work? Oh, here's a whole bunch of free alcohol. Have as much free alcohol as you want before you go to your job. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I noticed about drinking is like I've gone through periods where I just don't drink at all. And it's funny, like a few days into it, like a week into it, I'm like, oh, I don't actually miss the alcohol at all. Things sort of change slightly, like suddenly, you know, weekends, I want to go to bed earlier and stuff. And I have some just general sort of subtle things that I notice. But then I also notice when I reintroduce alcohol in, again, I'm not like binging, but it's kind of easy to it's it's easy to say yes. You know, like I've been having eating out a lot this week. And having a glass of wine with dinner, for instance, is just easy to say yes to. It tastes nice. You feel like, you know, it's the end of the day. You can reward yourself. But it's weird. It's just all it is is a, there's no reason why I couldn't just turn it down. But if it's there, I'm like, okay, I might as well drink it. 
Oh, yeah. I'm very much uh, of the, like, if I don't have alcohol in the house, I don't need to go and get alcohol. But if there's, like, a bottle of wine there or if there's beer in the fridge, often it'll get to, like, you know, a drinking part of the day. Like, you just on a day where I'm, like, here at home, it's a sunny day and it's midday, and I'm like, I I guess I can have, like, a beer. Like, I'm an adult. It's my house. I can have a beer if I want. No one's going to see. Well, we've had a... (laughs) We've had a few of those moments where, you know, sometimes we'll record TOEFOP at different times of the day. And there's been a few occasions where we've had to sort of look at each other and go, is this like, look, all we're doing is sitting in your office and talking shit. The fact that we have microphones, does that make drinking at 10 a.m. acceptable? I mean, but it isn't it funny because it's associated with this podcast, because often we do do it at a time where you can drink. So we do it a lot of the time drinking. When when we do do one at nine o'clock in the morning, it feels weird not to be drinking. And then you're like, well, I can drink at nine o'clock in the morning if I'm working. Yeah, if we took away the yeah. recording, essentially it's just the two of us getting drunk at nine o'clock in the morning and talking about Batman, <laughs> which is probably something they have on a list of do you have a problem? But because we recorded it, Charlie, it's fine. Yeah. Not a problem. But it's, 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 it's a great bit. When I think about it, it is a great bit of codependency enabling. Because generally what will happen is that, you know, we'll be in your kitchen just talking and you'll go to the fridge and you'll show me the beers. Like you'll put them in front of me. Like it's not like you'll say, hey, should we have a beer? You'll take them out and you'll show them to me and say, we want a beer. And so like I know that it's not like you're not really putting the question, you know, asking me a question. What you're saying is I'm going to drink. Join me. And I am so easily influenced. I'm like, yeah, that seems like it's 10 a.m. on a Tuesday. It sounds like a good idea. Let's have a beer. So firstly, Charlie, uh, yes, you're absolutely correct. What I am saying to you is I'm going to have a beer. Would you like one? <laughs> so, yes. No, you're right. No, you, you've certainly seen through my Sherlock-like plan. Uh, <laughs> it is one of those things where I realize now that this podcast is really just a justification for behavior that would not have been tolerated by other people if we weren't recording it. Like our desire to just hang out and talk about footy constantly and talk about Batman and nonsense (laughs) constantly and drink at 10 o'clock in the morning, like making an appointment. (laughs) Hey, do you want to come over at 10 o'clock on a Thursday morning and we'll drink alcohol and talk about Batman for an hour and a half? (laughs) Oh no, we'll record it. It isn't weird. Yeah, it's work. Well, makes sense. Like I justify... uh, uh, what my Foxtel subscription to Gemma to Fox Footy. It's like, well, I have to do that now. Like, I have an audience, I have a show, I need to, uh, I need to talk about football. So it is a justification, you know. We have to kind of, like, relax a bit and get into a kind of, like, free-flowing conversation, and alcohol lubricates that. Tofop, it's an elaborate cover story for our bad life decisions. <laughs> That's what now this that podcast gone on actually House is. Poster. It's a fucking... <laughs> this podcast is an alibi. That's all it is. Podcast, we're an alcoholic's beard. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I um, I would like to drink less, and I am trying to drink less. But I certainly, just in general, with everything, I think there's that thing of going is my relationship with this thing healthy still? Like sometimes you're like at the Mm. start of a tour, you're like, oh yeah, I'd love to have a drink because I'm early on, I'm seeing my friends, I'm at some comedy festival. But the problem can be is you then do that like every night for four months and at the end of it, you're like, oh, I don't think my, I'm not, the four beers I had tonight are not the same as the four beers I had four months ago. Yeah. I mean, I'm very much a social drinker. Like I don't, 
really have alcohol in the house. And I, I will buy alcohol for a specific event. To, you know, if we're going somewhere, going to dinner or going to someone's house or something like that, um, I don't generally have alcohol in the house. But when I do have it in the house, I drink all of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, there's no, it's not going to sit there. Like a six pack is not going to sit there over like the course of a month or something. It'll go in a couple of days. I must admit that I am certainly, uh, you know, we've talked on the podcast recently about the fact that uh, I've been cooking a lot more uh, than I was. Yeah. And but oh, yeah. because Amy's been away and because I've been essentially housebound because my back's been so bad to really travel, um, I have to do things that I can do standing up. And so cooking has been one of those things where you're like, oh, great, I can at least still cook and do that sort of thing. So I've actually been really doing a whole sort of, experimental like trying a whole bunch of things i haven't tried before in the kitchen and stuff and i must admit that i do like to do that while drinking a big glass of red wine in like a nice glass because it makes me feel like i'm like look at me i'm cooking i have a glass of red wine yeah. and i'm swirling and i'm like I don't, i'm not even reading a recipe now i'm just imagining i'm tasting stuff to see if it tastes good <laughs> Yeah, I think one of the best things for my beer drinking was moving to an apartment where I couldn't have a barbecue because when I lived in that house that had the backyard, I was out in the barbecue all the time and it just felt natural to have a beer in my hand as I was cooking food on the barbecue. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of those ones where you're just like, if I'm barbecuing anything, got to have a beer while you barbecue. Yeah. If anything's on fire, you should have a beer as well. Just looking at a fire, you got to have a beer in your hand. Turning things on a, on a barbecue, you got to have a beer in your hand. It is one of those things, isn't it? Like if you cook the eggs in the house and you're drinking a beer, then people are just like, what's going on, mate? Do you have an issue? But if you're outside by the pool near a barbecue and you've got some eggs on the grill and a bit of bacon, you know, that sort of vibe, and you've also got a beer there, people are like, oh, look at this. How fun's this? <laughs> yeah. Can I ask, if the Bulldogs are playing, you've got the house to yourself, the Bulldogs are playing and you don't have any booze in the house, will you go and get some beer or something to watch the football with? Yes, or I might... Yeah, well, here's the other thing now, is they have these like services where you can order you know, beer to your house. Like I use one in my neighbourhood mm. called Jimmy Brings. And they like, you know, so you don't even have to get to that point now where it was, I used to have to at least put on some shoes and like, you know, shuffle down to the pub if I wanted some alcohol. But these days I can just, you know, you can do the double, you can do, if, if you're not going to cook, particularly for a Bulldogs game, you just do the double order. You do the alcohol order, you do a food order and you just have it all arrive. Yeah, right. Does that, uh, is that our first sponsor, Jimmy Bings? Just a nice little plug in the middle. <laughs> No, but we do know one of the people who actually is involved in the company. So I guess it's like, it's not cash for comment because they're not giving me anything for free, but it's a good service. <laughs> now, Will, um, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big day for TOEFOP because um, our producer, Mike Hal, this week had a vasectomy. Yes, that is true. It is a massive day. Uh, uh, look, here's the thing. I, I don't know if I, I, I don't know if I'm in favor of just hearing about it. At such late notice. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. That, yeah, I, th I feel like that's something that maybe the producer of the show could have told us about. Maybe, you know, in the weeks leading up to this, we could have had some sort of arc. You know, we could have like, you know, really kind of explored the idea. We maybe could have had a few, you know, maybe if we're looking for something to get people to the opera house, we could have promised them, you know... A, oh, a last bit of DNA, a last right. bit of seed, you know what I mean? Like that's that is perfect. 
Mike, Hal, you should have given us more notice. We could have done the vasectomy live on stage. Now that... Can you imagine that? The world's value first for money at the opera live house. vasectomy. <laughs> what sounds better? A comedy conversation between two old mates or a guy getting his balls chopped off live on stage? Firstly... Do they, do? they chop the balls off? <laughs> yeah, firstly, I'm not sure that's what happens. I feel like you're understanding All right, sorry. of what a vasectomy might be. It's not... They don't just get out like a little guillotine, like one of those ones they use for cigars, and they get you to poke your balls through it, and then they just... Guillotine them off, sew them back up, everything's fine. Well, Mike Carl's giving us a bit of information mm. about the uh, surgery. So it was three incisions and eight stitches. How long was the cut, Mike Carl? Can you give us that in? Can you give us it in, uh, in metric, not imperial, too? Millimeters, please. Well, this is the thing I was going to say. If we'd flown Mike Hell out to do it live on stage at the Sydney Opera House, firstly, that would have been a great show. Secondly, there's got yeah. to be a souvenir out of that that somebody in the audience could have got. And last but not least, can you imagine yeah. John Deeks describing each piece of the operation as it was happening? Well, what we should what we should have done is Mike Howe should have used his last three uh, potent ejaculates, yeah. put them into like a little jar, like sperm bank style, and we could have auctioned them off, like frozen them. Like, you know, so they're preserved and set. And, and, and Michael, would you have been okay with that if we had donated your sperm to like a sperm, uh, a sperm bank? I mean, this is what I would have liked. This would be brilliant. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he says he has five kids, but mate, these would be fucking Aussie kids. So they're better. So <laughs> they'd be half Australian, mate. <laughs> and to be honest, you wouldn't even have to pay for the thing if you were in Australia because our healthcare system would pay for the whole thing for you. So we get you out, you get your free healthcare for your vasectomy, and then Oprah style in the theme of our show, we get Mike Hell up on stage flicking the remaining sperm. Like, you get some uh, sperm, you get some sperm, yeah. you get some sperm. Like multiple migs in Silence of the Lamb. Right? <laughs> we would have to put like a disclaimer or a warning on the poster that the front three rows need to wear waterproof clothing. Well, it's like the Waterworld uh, show at Universal Studios. It's like yeah. an outdoor stunt show and it, there's like areas you can sit on, the seats, that you go, well, this is the splash zone. So they would obviously have to have like at the Opera House, they would have like a splash zone. <laughs> I don't know if they've ever had a show at the Opera House. They probably have, actually. They have a lot of, like, kind of bloody, you know, sort of, like, plays and stuff like that. I'm sure that at some stage there's been a splash zone. So, Michael, uh, you can uh, just feed this information to us as we go. Um, but I'm, I'm keen to know about the procedure. I, I'm assuming they actually put you under. Like, a local anaesthetic would be probably disturbing, wouldn't it? Just to get, like, a little injection and be conscious uh, during the procedure. Yeah. Oh, it was a local. Oh, my oh, it God. Is a local. So, you... So, so do you so watch we, what's could you, going could on? Yeah, and, and what was your doctor's name? <laughs> like, I imagine, like, does he have a name like Dr. Doctor, Doctor Ball Killer? <laughs> oh, hang on. Hang, hang on, Charlie. I've just seen Michael's what? response. Uh, we talked about this show while the doctor was doing it. <laughs> wow. Something for, nothing for everybody? Something for a guy getting his balls cut off. No, sorry, you're not getting your balls cut off. I get getting that wrong. What was your doctor's name, Michael? Dr. Weeks. <laughs> Which, ironically, is about the amount of uh, uh, recovery you're going to need to get over that surgery, I imagine. I mean, it's, do they give you, is, do you, how, do, how do you patch it up? Do you get some sort of, uh, like, is it just bandages or is there like a sling of some kind? Is there like a padding? Do you get some sort of protective sock? Like, how does, how does it work? <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I imagine that there is 
Um, I mean, there's got to be a lot of that kind of, you know, when doctors are doing something that's fairly invasive, just to break the ice, they have to make some kind of comment about how strange it is that they've got their hands down there. Like, I imagine that, you know, he'd maybe make some comment about, you know, he, he hasn't had, a, had balls in his hands. <laughs> he hasn't had this many balls in his hands since he gave up juggling. <laughs> Well, but that's weird because he's a vasectomy doctor. It would it would happen all the time. Oh, yeah. So he'd be really cool with it. I reckon it's more like he, he, he you know, he, he guesses the weight. Like, you know, he's just one of those... <laughs> he just... <laughs> what I like to think is the way that he knows that the surgery is done is he tastes before and after. You just seem like a, like just like a, a wine connoisseur. He just like, he takes a little sample and just swizzles around his mouth. He's like... Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, that's a treat. That's worked a treat. <laughs> oh, Dr. Ball Killer. Another tick on the board for Dr. Ball Killer. I, 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 here's what I'm seeing. I know this is not how it works, but I'm seeing it's kind of like Indiana Jones style and he's got to like, you know, kind of take take the balls out and then replace them with like, you know, other balls. <laughs> he's got to like... Get he's just weighing it up. He's got to guess the weight. He's just filling a couple of little bags with just, sand. He's looking at looking at Mike Hal's balls, just trying to like just, guesstimate what it weighs, and he's just doing a little bit of adjustment for the sand. You know what? You should ask, you should ask him just in case, because I think you can reverse a vasectomy. Maybe you could have asked him to put a zipper on the outside. So next time you don't have to cut it open, you can just easy access, mate. That sounds good. Well, you know what? You're going to get older. They're going to get saggy. Maybe you could have just installed like a bit of drawstring or something to make you get a bit older. You can just <laughs> hoist them up a bit tighter. I mean, the oh. idea of having some sort of little rope or tie or whatever where you could adjust the... <laughs> I mean, it seems sensible in some ways. Um, here's the thing I was going to say is that... Um, I once had a doctor make small chat with me while he was holding my balls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What did he say? I was in uh, North Bondi. I remember it really distinctly. Um, so, you know, mm. where the North Bondi shops are, there's um, those two coffee shops that are across the road from each other. So there's one kind of on Campbell Parade, the main strip. And then across from there, there's like a kind of little smaller one. There's a doctor in there somewhere. Mm. And I had to go and get a medical and uh, while he was holding my balls, like holding them, like which again, in every other medical I've ever had since then, no one's ever held my balls. So I'm not sure it, like why he even needed to do it. But he said, while he, while he was holding my balls, he said, so I believe you've met Nicole Kidman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask, was it like a cradle, a cup or a hold? Uh, it certainly wasn't a hold. Um, I would say it was somewhere between a cradle and a cup. It was a crop. So he was taking the weight of them though, gently taking the weight. Yeah. That's what I would say. Yeah. So he was like, it was like if you're bartering in on olden times and someone gave you a bag of gold and you would just like hold it in your hand and you would go, ah, yes. Like, I think that's, you know, six gold coins in there or something. No, like he didn't that. jingle That kind it. of motion. No, he didn't jingle, <laughs> he didn't it. jingle there was no, it. There was no kind of like jingling the bag. I would say it was more like, um, you know, like you had some sort of fragile egg that you needed to carry across the room. So you'd hold it in your palm in the same way as like you would hold a fragile egg so that you wouldn't like break it. I um, had to get injections before I went to India to get a polio injection, which is quite uh, a significant injection. So they put it in your buttock. 
And so the doctor told me this. And so I got up and immediately dropped my pants and bent over his table. And he said, no, no, just lower your waistband. That'll be fine. <laughs> I must have No been. need to expose both buttocks, Mr. Clausen. Here's what I would like doctors to do, though. Be more clear about how much of your clothes you have to take off. I've been going to the physio, mm. obviously, a lot recently. I'm going sort of every two, two or three days. And every time they kind of work on different areas of your body and some of them don't involve me taking my shirt off. Like some days it involves me taking my shirt off, but other days it doesn't. Mm. Tell me beforehand, because if I don't need to take my shirt off, I don't want to just take it off so you can put a towel over me and then never do anything on my back. Tell me beforehand, like how much many, don't let me guess what I need to take off. But do they know? Like, aren't they kind of, isn't the whole point, especially if you're seeing like a, uh, an osteo or a physio or whatever is they need to see the whole alignment so you i mean i'm imagining what they do is they get you to stand up and you know turn your head left and right and bend forward and all that kind of stuff no he just gently cups my balls and then i lay down <laughs> are you sure this guy this guy is a doctor yeah that's above the mechanics yeah <laughs> it's, it's handwritten sign he looks reputable uh, so michael has given us a bit more information on his um uh the, the ball apocalypse um it says, first three weeks afterwards, no ejaculations. How, well, okay. What about involuntary ejaculations? I, 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 guess, I guess that's something you just got to risk. Oh, You're going to have a dream about... But uh, hang on. Like, when was the last time that you had an involu- involuntary ejaculation? I think if maybe I wasn't able to manually... Uh, ejaculate really? then after three weeks it might it might come out is that why you thought, I've, never gone, that why, I've got never gone longer than is that why you thought it came out involuntarily the first time you were just so full of jizz that some leaked out <laughs> and since then you've just been every day I've just got to do this I've got to do it because otherwise yeah, it mate. just spurts out when you don't know exactly it's a pressure valve you've got to just release the pressure okay so first three weeks no ejaculations but then the next three weeks he's been to ejaculate 40 to 50 times to clear the pipes. The so what's that? Roughly to almost just uh, 17 times, 17 ejaculates a week. Well, I think it, it's bloody good. I could do that in a day. <laughs> what are you talking about? Mike Hal has put up two, two and a half a day, but that's not right at all. Because if you only do two and a half a day, you're only actually technically doing two because half's not going to get the job done. Yeah, so you want to overcompensate, I'd say. If the, if the goal is to clear the pipes, but I would like to know... What would happen if you didn't clear the pipes? Like, is there some renegade sperm? Like, you think about it. This is an action movie, right? Right. You're a little sperm in my cow's balls. And then this fucking invading force has come in and wiped out your entire population. But you hid in a little attic in my cow's balls and you have survived the massacre of your people. And so now you're sort of sticking your head out to see what's around and like, you know, where you, you walk out and it's just like devastation, just no one's left alive. So you now, you're like Newt in Aliens, the little girl in Aliens. You're just running around and like pipes and stuff, hiding from the invading force, like hoping to somehow survive. I actually think it's more like the Diary of Anne Spank. <laughs> you're right, I meant to say Borleans, not Aliens. Yeah, that's what I love. I love the idea that there's just one little sperm in there one little survivor yeah. sperm, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a last man on earth thing, but it's like, you know, it's the last, you know, you're the last sperm in the in the ball bag and it's your kind of mission is to like, I mean, you can make it sort of an animated film. Uh, I, this is what you do. You kill most of the sperm, 
but you find you round up six champion sperm. Like, you know how there's always one sperm, the fastest swimmer gets to the egg. So you round up, before you do the, the operation, you round up your six champion sperms. And then you clear out the rest. So they're just left in the balls, those six sperm. And then they have like a duel. You have like a round robin where they duel until one sperm is left standing. And that sperm gets to impregnate an egg. So that's what he wins. Oh, okay. So it's not just the fastest swimmer. It's like a range of events that the sperm have got to be good yeah. at. Because up until now... You know what it is, Will? You know what it is, Will? It's a decathlon. <laughs> a decathlon. <laughs> but I like it, Charlie. Maybe if they get to the point where they decide... You know, you, we've got this idea where we can like, you know, look at our DNA now. We'll be able to decide if you... Maybe we'll be able to get rid of some um, diseases that are you know, genetic for people. We might be able to decide on like eye color and you know, sex of babies mm. and all these sort of things. But maybe you go a step further than that. Maybe they realize the problem with humanity, because let's be honest, we've got some problems, guys, and they're manifesting themselves in various different ways at the moment. Maybe they work out that the problem is that we've based our entire survival on the sperm that survives is just really good at swimming. And just being really yeah. good at swimming doesn't actually mean that you're the best sperm. Like there was other sperm who were probably really good at like, you know, getting along with each other and not causing wars or other sperm that are really good at like, you know, you know, treating people equally or like, you know, not, you know, not having racism or whatever. So you have a series yeah. of events in your decathlon, trademark TOEFOP, yeah. and yeah. They, then you, yeah, you assemble a team and then they have some sort of like yeah. series of competitions. Because the way we're doing it now, there's actually no guarantee that that sperm isn't just the Stephen Bradbury of sperm. Right. Like maybe all the elite athletes or the elite sperm were ahead of the game and then they all collided into each other and then bloody old doofus sperm goes swimming up the back and, and impregnates the egg. What we want is like a gladiatorial contest between sperms. I would even like to see, like doctors are doing amazing things with like microtechnology, little shields and spears and stuff for the sperm to carry. Like maybe you can sort of train them to, like, to, to, to actually fight each other. Uh, in sort of or do you want to do an or you or do you want a range like you want academic test you want a physical test you want like a psychological profiling of each sperm yeah I mean I, I, I guess we could get it done in like a you know for entertainment's sake in a more of a hunger gamesy format but I would like the tasks yeah. to have like various different elements of like some of them are physical strength but some of them are like, more like mental you know strength and those sort of things so that you can have a real yeah a well-rounded sperm I want I guess. Yeah, I'd love to see the psychology test, you know, like just some psychologist sitting opposite a sperm and just holding up like the, you know, the inkblot test to just be, what do you see? An egg. What do you see? An egg. What do you see? An egg. Very single-minded, this fucking sperm. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so you've got to shake out the randoms, basically. You've got to clear the pipes um, and, and get 60 away, 50 or 60 away. Yeah, 50 or 60 away. And so that would definitely allow us, if we held on to those, like, those final six sperm, let's say we'll make it a final 10. You know what we do? We install... All right, this is all out. We're, we're going all out pitching this to a network. 
It's the Dick Brother house. So basically, we keep 10 sperm in Michael's balls, Uh but we install cameras and we give them a series of challenges, like some are physical challenges, others are mental aptitude, but we allow the sperms to go into Michael's dick where the diary room is and they get to record a little video. So the audience also gets to vote on which sperm has the best personality because you never know. Like, you know... The person who's like the, uh, the you know, the, the, the overachiever might not have that kind of, you know, uh, everyday man or everyday sperm appeal that you want. So that adds another element where sperm can be voted out. I don't know if I like that, though, because then you're going to get some sperm who isn't actually qualified to be a sperm, but just has populist opinions, will get all the votes. And people are right. like, oh, you know what I like about that sperm? That sperm says it like it is. Says sperm's <laughs> only for white people. Sperm's white, right? Oh, he's got some opinions I can respond to. <laughs> Here's what I reckon we do. I reckon this is too hard. Obviously, the technology is not ready yet, but here's what we could do. <laughs> yet. Yeah. But here's what, the, here's what we could do. We could save the remaining sperm. And like you said, save enough to impregnate 10 different people, right? We impregnate mm-hmm. those people with this sperm, but we then don't, then we just leave them alone for the next 20 years. Then we invite them all on a Big Brother style TV show and we Ah, reveal in the process of it that they are all technically brothers and sisters. I think I'm getting a feeling that maybe the plot of Twins was something similar to this because wasn't like, wasn't Danny DeVito like they were saying like when you are trying to create the perfect human genetically create the perfect human you'll get the offshoots and that was what Danny DeVito was so actually Michael can you just bring up some info can you um, I know we have done an episode on twins before but it's probably worth revisiting can you just bring up the twin synopsis well I mean if there's look as long as it's not an identical episode to the one we did before it'll be in theme (laughs) Uh, okay so the products of genetic experiment fraternal twin okay I need more information on the genetic experiment. What I want to know is, were they, is it the isolated sperm that was kind of genetically altered to be perfect or were they two embryos, like two uh, eggs were uh, uh, fertilized and then from the embryos they're like, oh, we've got one good one and one bad one. Do we have, do you think the the writers of the film delved that deep? I am going to look it up here and let's go to the Wikipedia page and we'll... um... Uh, No, Michael's got some information here. The result of a secret experiment carried out at a genetics laboratory to combine the DNA of six fathers to produce one perfect child. I don't know enough about fucking genetics to know how that works. How do you combine the DNA of people? Can you even do that? Okay. To the surprise of everyone, the embryo split and twins were born. Hence the title of the film, Will. It was the same embryo. So it was... Whatever, however they combine the DNA into one sperm, they put it into the egg, and then that egg split. So, basically, Danny DeVito is the offcuts of, you know, a prime rib. Yeah, he's the leftovers. He's the other bits. Yeah. So, we could do that. That'd be brilliant. You've got a house full of people, and they've all got, like, half of their DNA is the same, and you get to see what they grew up in in all their different environments. Yeah. That may, yeah, that's, well... Oh, now I think we're talking about tra- trading places. <laughs> no, it's an. Ex- you know what it is? It's an experiment like Seven Up. You know the movie Seven Up, where they revisited those yeah, yeah. people every seven years to see what their life was like. We do that, but with ten different. Like, okay, this is it. So we get people. Okay. All the mothers, or even fathers, for one, whatever. But we find ten different people with ten different life experiences, and then we visit in with them to show how much is like nature versus nurture. Yeah, that's a that's a great idea. 
But uh, is this still all happening from Mike Hal's balls? Yeah. Because that's we need we need branding. Like we don't want to just give this idea away. Like I think it has to start with with Toe for the Toe Pop universe, right? I mean, look, you know, our, look, out, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, our listeners are called Teabaggers. I feel like this is perfect branding for us. Hundred <laughs> percent. So Mike Hal is saying that you are not sterile immediately following the procedure. So I imagine, imagine if we dug in there. If we dug in there nice and deep, we could probably find a few stowaways. We could find we could find at least ten sperm, right? Yeah. So here's the thing. If Michael saved it, right? If we got him to save the sperm, this last remaining sperm, you know, the last of their kind. Um Yeah. And then we got him to come to Australia with the jars of sperm. Do you think they would let him into the country? <laughs> Depends. Are the jars of sperm strapped to his body? Because you can't bring in biohazard without like declaring it, right? But it's not biohazard. It's sperm. It's just my sperm. But isn't well, yeah? But that but that that is that counts as biohazard. It's like biological material. You can't just bring that across borders. You bring it in, in inside your body. It'll, like every man who comes through has is smuggling sperm. Ah, oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> Sound like a super paranoid, ultra right wing feminist. Every man is smuggling sperm. They're just waiting to deliver it to you. <laughs> just a bunch of sperm smugglers. That's what we call them <laughs> yeah. on my blog. You dirty sp- sperm smugglers. Uh, okay, I sorry. I thought you were saying Michael needs to get them into a jar now and fly them out. But you're saying Michael could come out like a like a like a sperm mule. <laughs> It's a a much more comical idea that he has to put him into the jars first and bring them in like a confused old Chinese woman trying to bring in a Chinese medicine on border security. In fact, (laughs) wouldn't that be perfect? Wouldn't it be perfect if we find out when they're filming border security? I mean, we want to get this podcast out to as many people as possible, right? Wouldn't it be... I don't know why. (laughs) A perfect episode of border security would be if there was some dude coming to Australia for a podcast and he brought jars of his own semen. That would be like an episode that definitely people (laughs) would watch, right? Like, Yeah, 100%. As long as we have Mike Hell wearing like a Tofop branded t-shirt and he ta- in, like yeah. in his and in there like why do you have this sperm? He says, well, you know, because you know I produce this podcast. It's it's kind of like a comedy conversation between two mates, and and like he says for that comedy conversation, <laughs> and the guy and the guy the guy custom goes, that sounds fucking awful. <laughs> So imagine this. This would be a great episode because imagine the questions they would have. They're like, uh, excuse me, why do you have this uh, sperm with you? Well, I produce this uh, comedy podcast and uh, they've asked me to save this sperm and we're going to give it away. Uh, they're doing a show at the Sydney Opera House. You go to prison. <laughs> yeah. I reckon even better is we <clears throat> we call Mike Howell. We say, hey, Mike Howell, we need you to fly out ASAP. Can you just like put those sperm into a jar right. and fly out to us? And then just as he's about to leave, we call him and say, you know what? We need you to put the sperm back inside you and fly out <laughs> because they're going to restrict the airport. So then Mike Howell stays up all night like with one of those jewelers like eyepieces in and like a pair of tweezers trying to like feed the sperm back into his balls. Oh, at least <laughs> you've gone back into the balls. That's where the zipper or Velcro yeah. would be handy. Like, it's a little pouch to keep <laughs> yeah. stuff. I thought you were going to have to just feed them back into the eye. But the balls is a much better system. No. Well, okay. 
Or Mike, or Mike, or Mike, Mike Al gets our text saying you're gonna have to put it back inside. And so he just like shot, shots it, and like Mike Al, we don't no, think no, that's no, the no. way you get it back that. into your balls. You don't drink it. It's like, and he's like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome to this quality entertainment that has taken uh. us all the way to the Sydney Opera House. Um, <laughs> okay. So the show at the Opera House is like September the 15th or something, right? Something around there. I don't even know yep. what the date is, but something around there. Um, that's what, two months away from now, right? July, August, September. Yep. Yeah, two yeah, months from today. Funny. Yeah. In fact. Okay. So okay. we get Mike Hell to ring his doctor <clears throat> and ask him, you know, what would happen if I just held on for two months? Because that way he could smuggle them in inside his body. Like, is it gonna, mm. you know? Well, I wonder what would happen there. Would he? He would explode. Maybe he will start having nighttime, night nighttime ejaculations. If Michael is not allowed to touch it for two months, or his wife's not allowed to touch it for for two months, then holy cow! Like he, I mean, they might have to turn the plane back. Like you've heard of like volcanoes erupting and stopping flights. This will be the first time the the eruptions happened on the plane. Excuse me, sir, we're not going to allow you to board this flight because you're clearly too full of jizz and could explode at any stage. I like to see, like, Mike Cal, like, midnight special style, just, like, shuffling toward down right. customs, his balls so overloaded with sperm, he's walking like a cowboy, just, like, gingerly takes his seat, like, oh, oh no, sudden, even the slightest vibration of that plane taking off could mean disaster. Yeah, you see him get a series of drinks. He skulls the alcohol and then just tips the ice on his groin. <laughs> just getting there. He's like sweating. He's got his balls in a boogie board bag. He's trying to take them through. <laughs> it's just, they have to get one of those wheelchairs when he arrives at Sydney <laughs> Airport just to like wheel him out. But then like imagine, see that's, that's a problem for us because are we saying is he gonna is he going to donate those sperms live live on stage or are we gonna put him into a jar? I mean, because we've flown him all this way, let's not waste let's not waste having Michael do it live on stage, right? No, I, no, I, we've got to yeah, it's got to be. I, in fact, we get Michael to do the flying fox down. So we gather everybody yes. who wants some below with jars. <laughs> so everyone brings their own jar and then he gets on a giant flying fox and just kind of spreads it all across the crowd. Yeah. Like a crop duster. Yeah. <laughs> People just holding up their own Tupperware containers. Right. Take your own piece of Mike Howell. <laughs> just spinning around. It's been such a, like a long build up. He just is spinning around uncontrollably. <laughs> Just in circles, just showering our entire audience. Do you think we'd ever be invited back? Ever? <laughs> oh, mate, we're not going to get invited back. <laughs> would the audience ever stop vomiting? I mean, it'd be, it'd be something. It'd be something, mate. It'd be something. Anyway, whatever we do do will be equally as good as that, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, it has to be a kind of a short episode today because uh, Will's got shows and, and I'm about to fucking fall unconscious. But um, we did it. It looked like we weren't going to be able to do this show a few days ago. I, I sent you a message stressing out about not being able to... Because uh, where I am has like no Wi-Fi. I'm, I'm, I'm literally in the middle of nowhere. Um, but I found my dongle. 
I've been playing with my dongle. I was able to charge up my dongle. Um, and it's worked pretty much okay. So uh, we, we, we should be on track. I'm so glad that you said what you've just said, which reveals to me that you're as delighted by the word dongle as I still am. Because when you actually said that, you went, oh, I found my dongle. I was here by myself and I laughed out loud to myself. Like, just laughed out loud. I'm like, that is a funny word. It's funny that that word has, like, stayed being dongle because it just sounds so weird. But there, there must be another name for it, like a more serious, you know, like a, you've got like a, a Do you think USB dongle's a nickname? You call, I think you, dongle's what it's called. Michael, can you Google dongle for us and find out what, if there's an alternate name for it? <laughs> Why are you laughing? Just well, well, we're just making him Google the bad stuff now because now that the government yeah. is like monitoring all our internet, we're just like, no, 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 no. You Google this shit. Um, it, uh, it, it, this has actually worked pretty well, so we should be able to stay on track. Now you're going to be heading over to Montreal this week, aren't you? I am. In fact, uh, so. Uh, Tuesday the 20 something or the 20th or something like that I start my shows at Montreal critically will uh, a week of shows six shows I'm doing galas and stuff and a whole bunch of other shows as well but please come and see my show uh, it's the most shows I've ever done over there and so obviously uh, the more audience the better um, so yeah tell people uh, come see it I think it'll be really fun it's called critically will tickets are on sale now come and see that in Montreal that'd be cool a dongle is a small piece of hardware that connects to another device to provide it with additional functionality. In relation to computing, the term is primarily associated with hardware providing a copy protection mechanism for commercial software. Right. What the fuck does that even mean? The term dongle, in inverted commas, is also associated with a sim similar device meant to provide additional forms of wireless connectivity devices such as Wi-Fi or Bluetooth support, often over USB connections as well as small digital media players. Hmm. doesn't say anything about why it's called a dongle though. Who invented that word? The, yeah, who invented dongle. the dongle? Why is a dongle called a dongle? Let's ask those questions. Was there an Arthur dongle? Hang on, let me invent. Okay, I've just punched in why is it called a dongle. Uh, originally a slang for a plug-in module to copyright protected software. Dongle now refers to any small... Yeah, we know that. It doesn't say why. Uh, for the most part, dongles have caused... Where did the word actually come from? That's a matter of debate. And spoiler... Of enduring mystery. Okay, this is good. This is something we can speculate on. Right. We don't know much for sure about the word that has been the source of much frustration and controversy and regardless, ubiqui and regardless ubiquity. Do you, has it been, should I click on this link about the controversy around dongles? Yeah, I want to know about the, uh, the dongle controversy. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. <coughs> the dongle controversy, right, yep. So for some reason, this dongle is not letting me click this link. It's a cover-up. Uh, it's, it's silencing you. <laughs> it knows that you're trying to you're Google dongle-related activity on a dongle. Woman fired for tweeting dongle jokes. Oh. Is, oh, nice. Because it's, it's in the Atlantic. And because I won't right. let it display ads, and not letting me read the article. Motherfucker. Okay. Oh, well. It seemed, it seemed interesting, though. <laughs> A woman for was fired for, for something to do with dongle, dongles and jokes. To uh, you know what? I'm just gonna do, that's too. <laughs> how dongle jokes got two people fired and led to a DDoS attack. 
An incident at the annual Python Developer Conference has led to allegations of sexism, death threats, and the firing of two people and apparently multiple DDoS, distributed denial-of-service attacks. The strange saga began on Sunday at the PyCon event in Santa Clara, California, where Adria Richards, developer evangelist for a small email vendor, SendGrid, overheard jokes being told by two developers sitting behind her during a session. The jokes were sexual in nature, she said. Richards proceeded to take a picture of the developers, then tweeted the photo and asked the Python organizers to have a word with them. The story ended with one of the developers getting fired, Richards getting fired, and an apparent denial of service attacks against Richards' personal blog and against SendGrid. Anonymous has reviewed the situation and rendered judgment using the collective wisdom and experience, wrote one anonymous poster in a manifesto. <laughs> Could the story get any... <laughs> it's good to have that anonymous person backing up Anonymous's attitude towards this. <laughs> Could this story get any stranger? So her tweet is, not cool. Jokes about forking repos in a sexual way and big dongles oh. right behind me at Python. And she took a photo of them. According to Richard's tweets and a personal blog, forking and dongle jokes don't belong at tech conferences. No. The developers in question were sitting behind her at Python and made jokes about forking repos in a sexual... I guess forking means fucking. Forking repos in a sexual way and big dongles. Richards herself apparently made a joke about male genitalia on Twitter using a work account several days before PyCon. So, the pot calling the kettle dongle. <laughs> Richards did not tell the developers that she was offended, saying in the comments in her blog, I didn't want to be heckled or have my experience denied. She initially decided to remain silent about the joke she wrote, she wrote until she saw up on the main stage a fo uh, the photo of a little girl who had been at the Young Coders workshop. At that moment, I realized I had to do something or she would never have the chance to learn and love programming because the ass clowns behind me would make it impossible for her to do so, she wrote. After tweeting the pictures of developers, she then wrote on Twitter, can someone talk to these guys about their conduct? I'm in lightning talks. Top right near stage 10 rows back, hashtag PyCon. PyCon. She also linked to PyCon's code of conduct, which said... In part, the defensive jokes are not appropriate. On her blog, Richards concluded, yesterday the future of programming was on the line and I made myself heard. PyCon staff quickly spoke to the developers who apologized, but their staff took no further action. PyCon described its response in a blog yesterday. On Sunday, the 17th of March, an incident occurred involving some inappropriate comments made during a crowded plenary session. Per the stated guidelines for attendees, blah, blah, blah. both parties uh, were met with in private. The comments that were made were in poor taste and the individuals involved agreed, apologized, and no further actions were taken. Uh, forkings and firings. A person I'm going under the name Mr. Hank, <laughs> hacker news name Mr. Hank, claimed that he was the developer who was fired. He apologised for the jokes, but said Richards misinterpreted the forking statement. The developers were discussing the process of forking code bases, not making sexual jokes. He said, while I did make a big dongle joke about a fictional piece of hardware that identified as male... No sexual jokes were made about forking yet. Is this the nerdiest fucking, like, beef you've ever heard? His quote, She gave me no warning. She smiled while she snapped my picture and sealed my fate. Let this serve as a message to anyone. Our actions and words, big or small, can have a serious impact. I will be at PyCon 2014. I will joke and socialize with everyone, but I will also be mindful of my audience, accidental or otherwise. Again, I apologize. The other developer was not fired. Wow. How's that? Well, here's the thing so, that I'm not here to defend, like, because obviously, particularly the tech industry has had some issues with male and female equality. And, you know, so it probably goes to a broader theme that's throughout the community. And it probably also goes to the idea that, you know, if you're mostly men, you might joke in a way that men would joke amongst other men and not realize that there are people around you who might not find that appropriate. But I will say this. 
you know how like there's that thing in like police like there's entrapment you know you've got to tell me you you're a cop when you're calling things fucking dongle and forking and stuff like stop making them sound like sex things and then it'll just be harder to make them like just give them other names that don't sound like sex things well the bizarre thing about the dongle it says in this uh, atlantic article is the likeliest origin stories doesn't actually exist because most dictionaries attribute the existence of dongle to a random inspiration on the part of an unknown neologizer. Probably an arbitrary coinage, one reference sums it up rather dismissively. According to the book English Words, History and Structure, dongle is one of a class of words that seems to have sprung up Athena-like from the minds of the first utterers in a process of de novo creation. Fellow arbitrary words per this assessment are ditzy, gizmo, grungy, blurb, hanky-panky, and a term whose existence can be considered arbitrary in only the most clinical sense, flamdoodle. When have you ever heard the word fucking flamdoodle? Well, here's what I want to say, though, is surely this thing had another name beforehand, though. Like, you don't just invent something and not give it a name, do you? I guess not, but why that? Mike Howell's done a bit of digging around. Right. Uh, He's found a quote that says, the word is most likely a blend of dong and dangle as it can resemble a penis that hangs off a computer. I look, I'm looking at my dongle right now. And my, my dongle, my biological dongle, orga- organic dongle does not look any... that. You have to work hard to look at that and think that looks like a penis. Also, the other thing is, and when you talk about that idea of, I guess, um, you know, male-dominated thinking, like your dongle goes into your computer. So it's really a much more a sort of male and female coming together sort of experience rather than it is just a big dongle. You're sticking your dongles into a... Re- 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 receptor. <laughs> so it's... Well, you should, it should be... It, sh- it should be called a... a, a pu- it should be called a fuckle. Because <laughs> you're basically, you know, making your dongle have sex yeah. with your computer. You could call it an intercoursal. Exactly. You put- uh, a coitus. A coitusal. Yeah, so you just need to stick your dongle... In your vagina port, and then you can have intercoursal. <laughs> Which is probably as good a point as any to finish up on. Uh, we have a and website. And remind people we're playing the Sydney Opera House. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Me and more of that witty repartee on stage at Australia's most prestigious entertainment venue, the Sydney Opera House. We get the feeling they've never actually listened to this show. <laughs> they've, I don't know what they're basing it off, but we're going to be there. Uh, yeah, check out our website for uh, more details, uh, tofop.com. You can find this and other great podcasts for your auditory entertainment needs. We also have a Patreon page, which is how uh, we enable um, uh, 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 how we are enabled to, to hire Mike Hal and uh, uh, make fun of his balls for at least an hour. Um, so if you've got any spare change that you can throw our way, Every bit counts. You can go to patreon.com forward slash TOEFOP. It's a monthly subscription service. Any amount you want to donate, you can get access to some exclusive material. A brand new um, Everyone Relax by James Fosdyke has gone up this week, and it's actually one of my favorites. It features a few guest Charlies that you may know well. Um, Plus, you'll also get advance notice of live shows uh, and other events. Obviously, this show has already gone on sale for the Opera House. The pre-sale is on until Sunday, uh, and I believe um, the general admission tickets will start a a week after that. So if you're super, super keen, you've got till Sunday. Um, Chances are it could sell out. Is that right, Will? Uh, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Who fucking knows? I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. (laughs) 